Sometimes life goes smoothly. Everything works out. We get good results. We feel safe, positive, and content. Other times, trouble comes into our lives. Our plans get interrupted or redirected. And a direction we thought our life was headed is suddenly blocked. Or something comes along that will take much time and energy that we did not plan for. This past Monday, I was looking at new episodes available on the podcasts that I follow, and one of them was a Bible scholar that I've listened to and learned a lot from over the past three years. And then I noticed the podcast title, In Honor of the Host. He had died on February 20th, six days after his 60th birthday from pancreatic cancer. I knew he had some sort of illness, but not to that extent. And suddenly, his wife and his children must deal with this new reality. A good pastor friend of mine contacted us early in February, and they've discovered his wife has cancer. Suddenly, their year has turned from ordinary planning and activities to regular doctor appointments, treatments, and a major surgery. Sometimes things come into our lives that threaten us, like a health concern for ourselves or a family member, or employment concerns like job losses or cutbacks or difficult co-workers or managers or employees, or relationship trouble with our marriages or children or friends or extended family, or maybe we receive destructive criticism from another, or maybe financial troubles come upon us because of lack of funds, or a business failure, or declined benefits, or house or car problems. And then there are the threats that we face because of our faith. You may not mention your faith at work, or you will be disciplined. You may not opt out of participating in this pride celebration or you will be suspended. You better not bring up your faith at the wedding or we will uninvite you. So how can we respond to threats to our lives and threats to our, because of our faith? And that's what we're going to talk about today as we return to the series Finding Rest and Renewal in God. To help us examine this, we're going to look at a passage where some Christians received some very tangible threats, and they were commanded to never speak about Jesus in public again. So they go back to their friends to talk about what they're going to do in light of this. And we're going to learn two simple steps to threats that I pray will encourage you and help all of us with threats that we might face in our lives today or in the future. And then we will meet the Lord at his table. So please find Acts chapter 4 in your Bibles or on page 772 in the Bibles in front of you. And we're going to be starting in Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. And it's talking about Peter and John here. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And then when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So to understand what's going on here, we have to go back to what happened before. And it goes back to Acts chapter 3, verse 1, where Peter and John go to the temple at the hour or time of prayer, which was 3 in the afternoon. And while they are going, there is a man who has been lame since birth, being carried to his regular spot where he begs for alms or donations. He asks Peter and John for a donation. And Peter looks at him and does not give him a donation. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately the man's lame feet and ankles are made strong. And he enters the temple walking, leaping, and praising God. Well, people see this. They recognize the man and are amazed at this great work of God. He also clings to Peter and John, and people surround them in a public area of the temple. Peter speaks and calls for them to repent. In Acts 3.19, he says, Turn back that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you. And as they speak, the priests and captain of the temple and the Sadducees come upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, which the Sadducees did not believe in. They arrest Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, for it is already evening, yet we're told in Acts 4 verse 4 that 5,000 people are added to the church in that one day. Then in chapter 4 verses 5 to 22, Peter and John face trial in front of the high priest and the other religious rulers. They inquire by what power and by what name did Peter and John do this? And Peter speaks filled with the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of Jesus Christ that this man was healed, and the lame man is standing right beside them. The rulers listen a little more and then put them out of the council to make their decision. They are astonished by Peter's boldness and the lame man standing there. Yet they determine to warn them to not speak anymore in public. So they charge them in verse 18 of Acts 4 not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John do not promise to obey this. They say they cannot help but speak of what they have seen and heard. So the chief priests again threatened them in verse 21, and then they let them go. All the people are continuing to praise God for the healing of the lame man who had been lame for over 40 years. Which brings us to our passage. Peter and John have just been released after spending a night in custody and they could have gotten out of town before the authorities changed their minds. But instead, they go to their friends, we're told, and report specifically the threats against them. And then, what do Peter, John, and the believers do? In verse 24, they immediately turn to the Lord in prayer. And they begin their prayer by addressing God with the title, Sovereign Lord. And here we find the first response when threats come into our lives. It is simply, we must rest in God by rehearsing his sovereignty. We must rest in God by first rehearsing his sovereignty. And to rehearse means to go over, to repeat, to practice. You rehearse for a play by going over and over your lines until you have them memorized. You practice for a piano exam by playing the piece over and over again. You rehearse for a presentation maybe by watching yourself in the mirror and how you are coming across. And in this prayer, we see the believers rehearse, repeat, and remember God's sovereignty. What is God's sovereignty? It is his powerful control over all things. A sovereign is a ruler who exercises absolute power, either abusively or benevolently, meaning for good, and God sovereignly rules for good. So when threats come into our lives or our community, we might think God has lost control or we project our own discomfort and loss of control onto God, but the believers here rehearse three aspects of God's sovereignty. Number one, he is God of creation who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We see that in verse 24. And we need to step back and remember that God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. We need to go into God's creation to remind ourselves of this reality. Now, I know it's harder to do that in winter when we don't want to be outside, but we need to get into creation to experience and ponder the power of God. Think about a time, maybe, when you were at the ocean or at a great lake, and you walked into the water a ways, and maybe you let the waves roll past you, and you see the vastness of the sea and sense the rhythm of the ocean. And think about God who had the power to separate the waters and create dry land in creation. Can you imagine how much power and force it took to set boundaries on a water-covered planet? Yet the Lord accomplished this just with his word. And we can experience this when we go into the mountains. We see the vast rock formations that dwarf everything around. We see God's creative power in plants, in flowers, in animals, in people. 
Psalm 36 verses uh, 5 and 6 remind us that the love of God reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. His righteousness is like the highest mountains and his justice is like the great deep. So when life threatens us, we need to rehearse. God is sovereign over all creation, over this church and this nation and this planet and this universe, over the snowstorms and the seasons, over the placing of the earth in the exact place in the universe where human life could exist. God is sovereign over heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Number two, they rehearse that God is the God of revelation who spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David in Psalm 2. Verse 25 says, Who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Which is a quote from Psalm 2 regarded widely to be a prophecy of the Messiah. And anointed is the common Hebrew term for Messiah. So the Gentiles, people, kings of the earth and rulers set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. And we know them as God the Father and God the Son. Well, when did that happen? The people praying identify when it happened in verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, kings of the earth. Along with the Gentiles, the Romans, and the peoples of Israel. And this is the exact fulfillment of the Psalm 2 prophecy written a thousand years before and only a sovereign Lord could fulfill the accuracy of this revelation. God revealed this through King David by the Holy Spirit and that's just one tiny piece of revelation from the scriptures. So the people found rest and comfort in God's revelation. They trusted that these events that they were going through were not random, but under his hand. And can you imagine life without a Bible? What if God had chosen not to reveal himself and his plans through the word that we now have? But through the Bible, we have more than enough revelation to study for an entire lifetime and eternity where we can discover God who God is, what he's like, and his depth of love for us. And we can rehearse his sovereignty by pondering the gift of the scriptures along with their wisdom and truth. And then the third piece of God's sovereignty that these believers contemplate in their prayer is that he is the God of history who caused his enemies to do what his power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So verse 27 again, and then verse 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So Herod, Pilate, 
the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders plot together to take down Jesus, each likely believing that their actions are fulfilling their purposes and their plans, but in reality, all their actions work together to accomplish God's purposes. God took the evil acts of his enemies and used them to accomplish a tremendous good, the saving of many lives. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And our sovereign God has the power to use the evil intentions of people or Satan against us and turn them around for his good purposes. God has the power to bring good out of terrible situations and he's constantly at his good work for the world and for our lives. So the believers spend the first part of their prayer remembering God's sovereignty. He is God over creation. He is God of revelation. He is God over history. And with this renewed picture of God's sovereignty, the believers then take the second step or second response. So when threats come, first we rehearse God's sovereignty, and second, we simply ask God for his help. And they ask for three things. Number one, verse 29, look upon their threats. So they entrust their enemies to God and ask him to consider their threats. Number two, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. So they don't ask to escape the situation. They ask for boldness to speak. And then number three, request three, verse 30, stretch out your hands to heal with signs and wonders performed in the name of Jesus. And God responds. He shakes the room in which they meet. They experience a renewed filling of the Holy Spirit. They speak the word of God with boldness. So this group of believers responded to the threats upon them by first rehearsing God's sovereignty and then asking for God's help. And friends, no matter what we face in life, God is sovereign over it all and is ready to help us through it. He has faithfully brought his people through countless threats and difficulties, and he will continue to do it again through our lives. Yet we can resist the sovereignty of God. Mark Buchanan writes about two enemies to practicing the sovereignty of God, pride and despair. He writes, pride inverts the universe's deepest truth that we need and serve God, Pride convinces us that we can do things better than God. Despair is pride's twin. It is to collapse into a sense that not even God is good enough or big enough or smart enough to sort out the mess that we've made or that we've stumbled upon. So we get consumed by the lie that if God exists, he is too inept or distracted or apathetic to even notice us let alone come to our aid. And to avoid these two enemies of taking over when something threatens us, we need to follow the steps in order. First, rehearse the sovereignty of God. Second, ask for his help. Because if we first come with our prayer requests, we will rehearse them and maybe make them bigger than they are. Buchanan writes, so we start with God We survey what he has made, we recite what he has done, we proclaim who he is, and after we've been with him long enough, 
we begin to ask for help. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, I want to invite you to focus on the sovereignty of God and maybe something that these believers focused on has stood out to you today. Focus on the vastness of God's creation and that he's Lord over it all. Focus on the perfection of his revelation. Focus on the fact that he's the Lord over history. Focus on the fact that he was able to take the evil intentions of others and use them for his good and glorious purposes to rescue you and me through the cross. And Lord, as we come to your table, we pray that you will open our minds afresh and anew again to your glorious sovereignty over all things. And whatever is going on in our lives, Lord, you are above it. You are with us through it. Help us to see and trust you as we walk. And we pray this in your name. Amen.